Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Brand Called You. So listen, you know when most people travel, they the first thing they do is they go to museums, right, for the culture. That's not what I do. When I go traveling abroad, there's two things I like to do. I like to get a local haircut, not that you know it, but I do. And I like to go to the local laundromat because I feel like it's in those places that you're really going to get your finger on the pulse of the culture. And so, of course, it makes perfect sense that a, a few weeks ago, I was visiting my cousin in Northampton, which is a small, charming university town in Western Massachusetts, about an hour and a half from Boston. And I wanted to see the town. So I started wandering around. And of course, what happened? I saw a laundromat and I wandered in. And immediately, what do I see? An avant-garde painting. But as I get closer, I realize it's actually socks that have been pinned to a bulletin board that people have left in the dryer. And I'm like, that's so interesting. And then I go around the corner and there is a scene from I Love Lucy. I see a woman who's put too much soap in one of the machines, washing her blankets and the suds have fallen all over the floor. And I watch her ask for the manager and this very sweet man comes out who did not make her feel bad, who was just so lovely, wiping it up, saying, oh, no problem. And it turns out he was the owner, the owner of the laundromat, Jason Foster. And that is who our guest is today. And why? Because I find him and the whole idea of laundromat ownership fascinating. So before we meet Jason, a little about him. He's got a fascinating story. Jason graduated from Emory University with a degree in finance and then quickly moved to China where he taught English. But it didn't take long before he eventually joined a consultancy and he was doing multinational quality control. But then it didn't take long before he ended up starting, um, starting his own market research company with a couple of other Americans. And within five years, the company was doing so well, they had over 100 employees. No sooner does he sell that business that he ends up moving to London with his wife and, um, and eventually his young son and starts gets involved in a whole bunch of other unbelievable businesses before finally deciding to return back to America to this beautiful town of Northampton where he has many, many hats, invests in many local businesses, including a karate school before chancing upon the Masonic laundromat the laundromat was opened in, uh, well, I'll let Jason tell me. Jason, it is a pleasure to have you here. And I can't believe it. You, I have never met the owner of a laundromat before, nor have I ever talked to one. And you probably didn't know that it's my gauge on a culture. I, I go in one wherever I go. And I think uh, you have to agree with me. I, I will, but uh, first, hello. Um, thanks for having me. I will say I use a different gauge of a measure when I travel. I actually go into big supermarkets or local supermarkets because I feel like I can get a pretty good sense for like the food and the culture rather than yes. laundromats. So, but to answer the question about how long has a laundromat been there? The short answer is I don't know exactly, except we believe it's one of the longest, most continuous standing businesses in Northampton. Some people say it was started in the late sixties. Others say in the early seventies. But everybody agrees it was definitely around in the 70s for sure. And it never closed. The guy that started the laundromat owned the building. And then about 17 years ago, he actually sold the building. And the new owner didn't want to have a laundromat. He wanted a laundromat. He just didn't want to own a laundromat. So he sold it to the person that I actually bought it from. And that, was, and that person owned it for 12 years. 
I bought it in January 2019. Well, so Jason, you're t- you're a youngster, but um, when I when I was right out of college, I I lived in you know I lived in various apartments in New York City. You had to pay extra for the cockroaches, I might add. And of course, none of those buildings had washer dryers in them. Um, and you you know it was pretty typical in in a city like New York and and really all over America to climb down with your laundry and go to the laundromat and. Uh, and I, I have a feeling that must have been the history in Northampton as well. Um, but you said something really interesting to me because I made the assumption that when I was there that it was really just for kind of people who are poorer now. And you actually said something fascinating. You said at least 10% of, of your customers have other reasons besides income level to be there. So maybe you could start with that. Yeah, so... I'm guessing about 10% of all the customers in that laundromat, any given day, any given moment, it's because they either have a broken machine or they're traveling through. We're in a college town. So this actually, this is the time of year when we get a lot of people visiting Smith College and UMass because they've been accepted. And, you know, they're on the road for a week or two because they're visiting all the East Coast schools if they're from the West Coast and they need a place to wash their clothes. So you could have very wealthy people right next to people that have no money. And I even have an example this was last summer, I had a homeless person doing their laundry right next to a gentleman who was probably worth 50 to $100 million. And I, and I started talking to him and I said, you know, I could tell that he was lost in this type of um, environment. And I said, so what, you know, I helped him through his, his, his wash process. And he, he and I both joked that, you know, neither of us had really used laundromats since we were in college. So I asked him, I said, so what brought you into the laundromat? And he said his daughter was at a sports camp. This was in the middle of the summer. And it was a four-day lacrosse sports camp. And he, he they're from Boston. And turns out he ran two big hedge funds for a big Boston-based finance firm. And he said that she was invited to a college recruitment camp the very next like couple days. And they weren't prepared for that. So it when he said, listen, just go buy all new clothes because we can get it there tomorrow. She didn't want that because she wanted the clothes that she knew she was comfortable in because this was like the big deal for college recruitment. So she begged him to come to Northampton, as you said, an hour and a half away. And before you know it, he's in the laundromat doing his daughter's clothes because she's still dealing with camp and other things. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, she's spoiled a little bit. And he sort of smiled and agreed. But, um, but here's this guy worth millions next to a a homeless person that, you know, really had negative money, probably. And, you know, to me, I, 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 it reminds me so much of when my car used to get towed in New York City. And the great equalizer was all of us standing way out in the end of Brooklyn, paying, you know, rich and poor alike. And it's, do you ever see the the two spectrum, the two two ends of the spectrums colliding and, and even talking? I mean, do you ever see any kind of like, conversation between different worlds in your laundromat? You you do, but it tends to be around issues that happen in the laundromat, you know, where, hey, how do you use this? Like, you know, you see somebody put stuff into the into the dryers and they're trying to figure out why, how do you get the water to come out? And then you'll have a homeless person say, listen, that's not a washing machine, that's a dryer. So there is interaction or it's, you know, some your typical pleasantries, good morning, good afternoon, how you doing? Uh, But it's, it is probably the one, one of the few places left other than having your car towed where all walks of life convene. Although it, it, it breaks my heart because 
the price of a wash now is very high. And I think, how does a homeless person even afford that? I mean, you have to admit, it's it's probably really quite difficult for people who don't have a lot of money, no? It, it is. Um, they can afford it because they spend a lot of time in between washes wearing the same clothes. And that's the only way they can afford it. So in other words, I'll see the same, you know, and I have regular customers that are homeless, but they'll come in once every six weeks, once every two months, instead of every week. And that's now, just, by the way, know, how much is a load just to tell our viewers? So it depends on the size machine, but our, our average, you know, 20 pound wash is about $4 and 25 cents. And it may be going up because I just found out that the water and utility rates in Northampton are going up almost 30% because yeah. the largest water user, um, one of the businesses, Coca-Cola bottling plant is moving out. And so starting in the summer, everything's going up through every household is, and business is paying 30% more. I, yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you determine how to price? Do you have to look at competitors? Is there a way to determine price pricing? So um, the short answer is I don't look at competitors to determine my pricing. I don't care what they charge. I charge what I need to charge in order to run a good business and run it professionally. That doesn't mean I don't know what my competitors charge. I know exactly what they charge, but we're like in Northampton is not a price sensitive town. And so when you, first of all, for me to dictate like what my pricing is, it depends on what I've invested. Like I just, you know, if I'm putting 30 or $40,000 of new equipment in, which I did in the last year or so, um, that requires, you know, you have to get a return on that. So you have to charge accordingly for those machines. I'm about to put in a new floor. So like when I'm doing capital improvements into the, into the laundromat, that helps me try to figure out exactly how much I need to charge to get a return on that investment. The other piece is utilities, like when the electric goes up, when gas goes up, when water and sewage goes up, I have no choice. My grandfather, who was also in business for himself, used to say, the consumer always pays, right? So it's not gonna be the business owners that are suddenly gonna just have um, a, a declining amount of revenue. In the end, we have to pass the cost on to the consumer, otherwise we're out of business. You, you said to me when I first met you in the laundromat chasing suds that it was by, by far the best business you've ever been in. And you've been in many, many businesses. Um, why is that? So the, uh, you mentioned, you know, I had a business in China. It was very people intensive. The one thing I love about a laundromat, it's a very simplistic business. It's not complicated. You provide good service. You make sure your machines are working and you want to make sure that everything in that laundromat is clean. Three simple things. All you have to do is keep those machines happy and working. $20 replacement part every couple months, not a big deal. It's not rocket science. And for that, I love the fact that the laundromat is not complicated. A lot of people that own laundromats don't run them professionally. So I feel like the minute you come along and you run a laundromat professionally, and you do it well, and you make sure your machines work. Like when you were in there, um, you probably noticed that I didn't have any broken machines, not washers, not dryers. That doesn't yeah. mean that that lasts. It, it, you, know, you mean that professional? Is that well, it's not, well, that's one of the definitions from my perspective of professional. Another is when someone said, for example, you know, with the suds coming out of the machine, there's a lot of people that would have screamed and yelled and been upset that, you know, it's almost 99% of the time it's user error, whatever the issue is in a laundromat. Even when a machine breaks, it's because someone put 20 rugs in, into the machine and they shouldn't have because they were trying to save a buck and the shock absorbers broke or the hat lit, latch on the door breaks <laughs> off. And, you know, 
I'm not going to convince those people that they did anything wrong. So I don't even try. Instead, I'd rather be nice. I'd rather just take care of the issue because I'm going to have to anyway. And in the end, if they give me a good Google review, that's going to drive more business. Not to mention that person's probably going to come back and spend 500 bucks a year in that laundromat. So it's just, to me, it's just, so that's another piece of professionalism. You, another is, you yeah, know, you just, so, so you just, you just want to make sure that when people have issues, you address them. But the last piece that I consider professional, when you have a phone number for a laundromat that's unattended, like I do, answer your phone. It's not that complicated. Do you know how many times people call me and they are shocked that I answer the phone? I'm probably the only laundromat owner in the world that uses my personal cell phone as the phone number of the laundromat. Because that way I know I'm going to answer it. And the things that they're asking aren't that complicated. Like I got this error message. How did in, in literally three seconds, you tell them how to fix it and it's done. But if you don't answer the phone, it turns into a disaster. They start banging the machines. They get angry. They leave you a one-star review. But so it, it's little things like that. Like just use common sense, be fair and be professional. Um, I mean, do you think, how, how much did your experience in multinational business actually prepare you for running a laundromat? I'm really curious. Zero. The only, you know, so <laughs> I made literally zero because every other business with one or two exceptions, but the, the majority of the businesses that I was involved with were very white collar, right? We were dealing with serious brand strategy, retail and distribution strategies in China, dealing with big international guys that really were with those companies for 30 years, like big, well-known brands like Smuckers and Hershey's and, you know, big companies. When I bought the laundromat, I had no experience dealing with the general public. And it's a very different sort of environment when you're dealing with the general public, because you have all walks of life. You have people that feel, you know, I'm better than this when you're in the laundromat. You have people that feel like, oh, man, I'm so desperate. I'm in here and I can barely even afford the quarter to put into the machine. And you have people that... They could be as smart as can be, yet somehow they put their stuff in a dryer and they think that's a washing machine. So you're just, you're dealing with all walks of life. Like I said, if you have a homeless person, you have someone worth millions of dollars and you have to address all of those needs. You may not always want to, but you have no choice. You own a laundromat. You're dealing with all walks of life. Was it surprisingly humanistic and touching to you, Oni? I mean, did, were you surprised by some of the stories that touched you? Um I, I was actually, I was surprised at my reaction to a story, you know, a few months ago. So there was a, there was a, a young guy that used to come in, actually still comes in. And, you know, he, he was just, I was in there just tinkering with a machine and he came in and we started talking and I'd seen him come in there before and he'd always behaved. I knew he was homeless and we started talking and I asked him, I was like, so where did you grow up? And he, and he, you know, and they don't, they don't mind sharing some of their story. And it turns out he was in foster care for his whole, you know, pretty much his whole life. And he said he was in high school in, in a different part of Western Massachusetts. And I said, so you were with the same family? He says, no, I lived in 18 different families. Yeah. I was physically and mentally abused. Yeah. And he just went on and on with like all of these things I never thought about. And he's 31 years old and he's been a recovering drug addict, alcoholic, you name it. And it just so happens that he was two days sober, right? And he was, he was excited and I patted him on the back and his wash, it, I rarely do this, but his, his wash was free because I said, you know what, keep, keep this up because you know, you're on the right path. 
But I remember I said to him, I was like, you know, I never really thought about the scenario that you grew up in. But one thing's for sure. You were much more disadvantaged than my two kids. And it's just so that's something that took me back a little bit because I hadn't really thought about, you know, you, you see people and obviously there are choices that everybody makes to either help their situation or hurt their situation. And he agreed, like there were things that he had done that hurt his situation. But in the end, he grew up at such a, with such a disadvantage to, you know, let's just say the average kids like my kids. So, you know, that, that I was surprised that, that that sort of took me back a little bit. And, you know, I started thinking about it like, yeah, you know, it's, he's right. It's not all his fault. Like there was some bad things that happened to him that he couldn't have controlled. Yeah. I mean, the more exposed we get to the other, the less we know, you know, the more it's very easy to think you understand the world until you actually get exposed to the world, you know? Right. Well, um, and on the flip side, you know, he was surprised to hear my story that I was making $20 a month in China after graduating college. And, you know, and here I was living in what some would describe as almost like a jail cell, even though it wasn't a jail cell. But, you know, you're in a communist country, you're doing things that most people aren't conventionally doing in 1991 and 1992. And you're doing it because you're investing in your future. And, you know, parts of it were lucky for me. But, you know, they were surprised. They think, oh, the guy owns a laundromat. He was just born into money and he just started, you know, this and that. And, you know, they were so on the flip side, they they come to, to learn that, you know, I didn't always just have some kind of financial security. Like I had to earn that myself. Are there are there other memorable stories or characters that you can conjure up? I could go on and on, but I will tell you a funny one related to karate. Okay. So, as you mentioned, I, you know, I own a karate dojo and I've been practicing martial arts for probably about 20 years. And I teach the main thing, the main function I serve at my own karate dojo is I teach children every Tuesday and Thursday and they're ages five to let's say 18. And I was driving to the karate dojo and everything in Northampton is only within a mile or two. And I was in my full uniform because I was literally going from my house a mile away to get to the karate dojo. And my wife gets on the phone and she says, listen, you got to go to the laundromat. I was like, I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm going to teach kids. She said, well, there's people smoking in the laundromat. And this is about the third or fourth week that I own the laundromat. So I had no choice. I turned the car around. I you know, go an uh, extra mile out of my way, park in front of the laundromat. I walk in in my full uniform. And these two guys, they're still in the back smoking whatever they're smoking. Like they're not even halfway through. And they look at me and they go, whoa, we don't want any trouble. Because, you know, they see me in a white gi with a black belt. And, and I started laughing. I said, I don't want any trouble either. And, you know, and I, I escort them out of the laundromat and I let them know. I said, listen. The police station is right down the road. Next time, it won't be me. It'll be the police. And you let everybody know this is not a place to hang out. Because before I owned the laundromat, I'd heard stories that people would sleep in the laundromat. Like it just, it wasn't that comfortable for people to do their laundry because it was just sort of run down and, you know, taken over and people were drinking and not doing things that they should be doing in public. So I said to them, you know, let everybody know this isn't a place to hang out. So about four or five months later, I'm in the laundromat. I asked somebody, you know, sorry, you can't be hanging out if you're not here. And eventually he starts giving me a little bit of lip and he says, hey, you know, you're a real jerk. Like, you know, who are you? And I said, I told you, I'm the owner of the laundromat. I'm asking you nicely. You can't. He goes, wait, are you the sensei? And I laughed and I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. But how do you know? And he says, quote, word on the street and word in the shelters is don't mess around in the laundromat because the owner's a black belt. And I looked at him and I said, yet you're still here. And he actually, and it turns out we became friends and it turns out he was doing his wash eventually. It just took him some time. And then I had to explain to him. Hysterical. 
I had to explain to them, I don't run this like Starbucks. You don't like buy a coffee and get eight hours in here. You get two hours from start to finish. And, you know, so, but it's, there's story after story of, you name it, I've seen it in a laundromat. Well, you name it, tell me, I'm, you know, I love a good Um, story. The, the person that urinates in the trash can, the person that urinates on the floor and then takes their own clothes to clean it up and then sticks their clothes in the laundry to, to wash their clothes. Um, the, the, the people that impromptu, they bring a guitar in there, they do their wash. Before you know it, there's two people that never met before. One of them turns out to be a singer. One of them is a great guitar player. And they're like an impromptu concert for an hour in the laundromat while they're, while they're washing their clothes and drying their clothes. Oh. And then before you know it, they're like they're friends. And apparently they've been trying to do some gigs together <laughs> outside the laundromat. I wonder but, if couples have met and married in your laundromat. Um, I don't know if couples have, have met and gotten married, but couples have come in and uh, were somehow going to try to have sexual activity in the laundromat. And then, you know, you get on the security camera and you're like, hey, hey, hey that's not going to happen. So please leave. And then, you know, they get startled and they leave, but it's- Oh, you watch it on video? Once in a while, um, I'll see on the video camera. So when I'm working in my home, I will have the cameras running in the background with just really low volume. And you get, you know what the rhythm is of of the sounds of a laundromat. You know, people open the door, you can hear the door open. And if you don't hear like washing machine doors opening and closing or dryer doors, and, or coins, you know, going through the slots, like you, then you glance over at the camera and, and it just so happened, I heard the door open and this, and there's, by the way, there's certain times of the day where you have to be a little more on alert. Like, you know, when it's nighttime and you know, you're going to be closing, sometimes people would want to come in and try to sleep there or first thing in the morning where they know they can get out of, you know, the cold and they charge their cell phones and whatever. But it just so happened, this happened to be in the evening. It was, it was a summer night. And this couple came in and they just decided that they're just going to hang out. And uh, it seemed like things were progressing very quickly into a sexual matter. And I said, guys, not happening. And so Wait, you, you know, said it through the intercom? Said it through the speaker, yeah. They must have freaked out. <laughs> were, you know, they, it's like they, they look around and I, and I said, you know, I'm not, I don't scream. I treat them with respect. And, you know, I, I handle it, I think, professionally, but forcefully. You know, like they could tell the voice on the other end isn't taking no for an answer. So, and, and, and if all else fails, I get my, like, I walk to the laundromat, which is the other convenience of the business. And when I have to, I get in my car and it's 30 seconds later, I'm there. And so, you know, I let them know, like, please don't make me come down or don't, don't make me call the police. Um, And they, you know, they cooperate. You're open so quite late. Well, it's not that we're open quite late where we closed at 930, but Remember, it's unattended. So the door, everything is based on technology. The door automatically locks at mm-hmm. 930. The lights cut off. The, um, you know, so everything is fully automated. So sometimes people have found out, oh, it's automated. So the guy, someone's not going to come here to lock the door. So if they come in at 925 before the door locks, they think the door is locked and then no one can get in and then the lights cut off and they can sleep. What they don't understand is not only do I check the cameras when that happens, but I can open the door remotely to let the police in to tell them to get out, which is, which believe me, that's a whole nother story. And it happens at least once or twice a year. So you name it, I've seen it. How, uh, how often do you have to bodily, physically be there? Um, 
So the answer that depends on how well you want your laundromat to be run. It could be very passive, meaning you go there once, twice a week, or like me, you could go every day if you're in town and you spend 30 to 60 minutes there just to you know make sure everything is, is the way it's supposed to be, interact with customers. And um, so for me, it's you know 30 to 60 minutes every day. That's, that's what I try to do when I go to the laundromat. Of course, there's days when I don't get there at all, but um, typically I try to be pretty proactive. With all the technology now, like if you say you go away on vacation for a week, can you just monitor it from wherever you are? Or do you have to have somebody on hand just in case? Um, yes to both of those. So I've, I've been, you know, three, four, 5,000 miles away. I've gotten on the camera and I've said, hey, you can't be in there because if you're not doing a wash, you can't hang out. I've also had to call the police from 5,000 miles away to have them go and kick people out that weren't supposed to be in there. But when I'm physically not around, I do have somebody go in and take care of certain things and let me know if anything's out of order, if there's water on the floor and they'll clean up and they'll do stuff. So it's it's whatever you want. There's a lot of people that treat it as a very passive income. And, you know, they go in once a week or they have somebody go in every every few hours, uh, you know, three days a week. But for me, I want it. I, I have not maxed out on what the potential revenue of the laundromat is. Well, I, I actually want to speak to you about that because I'm, again, I'm, you know, obviously not a math person, but you, you keep saying it's a good business. You, you don't mean just an easy business. You mean it has real financial potential. Uh, yes, but I would never say there's any business that's easy. There's businesses that may require less attention okay. than others, but as I've told my kids, there is no such thing as an easy business. Um, laundromats, if you do those three or four simple things, keeping your machines running, making sure that, you know, customers are having a good experience, not allowing hanging out and loitering or drinking or any drugs or anything stupid in the laundromat, and you provide good customer service that they're willing to give you a good Google review. When you do that, I think you will continue to see your revenue grow until you get to a point where it's maxed out, meaning your space can't handle any more revenue because then you just have too many people and too many bottlenecks and people don't have a good experience when it happens. So yes, from a revenue standpoint, the, the laundromat has been growing, you know, not never as much as you'd like and never as quickly as you'd like. But I feel like I have a small laundromat. The average size laundromat across the country is about 2,500 square feet. My laundromat's half that. So the one thing I look at in my laundromat is how do I increase the pounds per square foot instead of the number of machines per square foot? Because I have you know, triple loads that are now three times with a, a slightly bigger footprint than the smaller machines, than a 20 pound machine. So I'm, I'm investing in bigger machines so that I can increase my poundage capacity per hour or per and day. And you can charge more for those. And you can charge more for those because conventional wisdom in laundromat ownership is the bigger the machines, the more money you make, which is true. But doesn't it cost you more in water? It does and it doesn't. So if you're if you do you saw those white machines that are 20 pounds, those use 13 and a half gallons of water. The triple loads that are three times those size, when you program it, you have it do a certain number of washes and rinses. Let's just say they use about 20 pounds of water. If you were to do three of the 20 pounds, you'd be using about 40 gallons of water instead of 20. So your costs do go down per load. And um, so, you know, you, you will see a little bit of savings. And the newer the machines, the more energy efficient they all yeah. tend to be. Yeah. And dryers too, right? Dryers too. Same thing. Are you drying? Are you, is your 
Is it electricity or gas that fuels gas. you? Gas, which is one differentiator between me and most of my competitors that are in a yeah. you know one mile radius. They have electric, which means it takes a lot longer for the clothes to dry and people are yeah. spending, you know, it's, it's not that they're necessarily spending so much more. I mean, people tell me that they do, but it's that it takes them an hour and 20 minutes to dry their clothes. And in my laundromat, it's 30 minutes. Why? Because mine's gas and my dryers are big enough. So the airflow is good. And the, the heat gas creates a much hotter air. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't either <laughs> until, until I started you know learning this through how, the plumbers I mean, and the electricians. How long did it take you to kind of really understand your business? I would say I got to a comfortable place through the pandemic. Because what, what happened, I bought the laundromat in 2019, just as I was, I, I hadn't even seen seasonality. I didn't know what the patterns were. I didn't know how to fix machines, didn't want to know how to fix machines, never felt that I was mechanically inclined or you, had any interest. looking for a laundromat, right? I wasn't even looking for a laundromat. <laughs> did somebody, you heard about it or what? I don't know how I get into any of these things, but I actually saw it on Craigslist. <laughs> and in fact, I didn't even know there was a laundromat in downtown Northampton. I must have walked past it a million times, but I never needed a laundromat. I was lucky my machines didn't break. So I didn't have to go to a laundromat. Although ironically, about six months ago, my machine did break. And I ended up with my laundromat doing my own, which is a very different, it's a very different experience. And you, you don't give yourself a discount either. Well, I, 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 what I did was I made sure that the machines smelled good and I, but it gave me a very different perspective Interesting. because I was never really a customer of my laundromat. Right. And the minute I was, I was like, I was giving those machines the once over, like, listen, I sleep with these clothes. Why would I, I want to make sure that it's not going in a, yes. a they'll do. So what, after that, I, be, I, I did a slightly different cleaning routine wow. to make sure that things were even better. You know, it was fine, but I just, yeah. I just felt like if I wouldn't be comfortable, then my customers shouldn't be comfortable. Uh, do you ever go to like laundry conferences? Like, you know, there's a conference for everything. I, I, I have. Um, do they I've exist? Some, do they exist? I, they do. There's some, there's some big shows. In fact, I'm going to be going to one in a few weeks. I wouldn't say it's a big laundry. It's, you know, you get your, some big local, not local, but regional distributors and they're trying to sell you equipment or services and they host this big show and they give things away and they do all this. But, you know, and, and you're meeting other laundromat owners. And that's when I find out that like, wow, there's some very successful laundromat owners that own six stores or 10 stores or 15. And I, you know, I tell my parents, if I were to, if I were 20 or 30 years younger, I would probably at my age now have 10 to 15 laundromats. Like that's the business I would have focused on for my whole life and career. Do your kids want to take over your business? I doubt it. No. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want them to. I'd, I'd rather sell it and have the money and give yeah. them the money you know, um, when the time is right. Do you do you ever think about um, increasing revenue by like doing singles nights or any kind of like, how do you get people to come other than social media? Um, I don't do anything on social media, but what I where I get the majority of my business is in my Google listing. And when people search for laundromat, like, you know, when you first come to town and you you need a laundromat, you're going to type laundromat into Google. Actually, this, the number one search for a term is laundromat near me. And I always joke, you don't have to put near me. Google knows your location. So laundromat, and then three come up organically, right in the, you know, you'll see like this little rec, this square box. We always come up first, either first, second, or third, doesn't matter. Yeah. And then the next thing that you're probably going to do is you're going to look at the star ratings because you know if those three came up, they're all within pretty close proximity to where you are. 
And when you see one laundromat has 4.8 stars and the next one has 2.3, which one do you think you're going to go to? Yeah. And plus that's you, the scenario I'm in. Plus you have a parking lot right across the street. Which I have is a parking lot across the street. And, you know, when people get into start reading the reviews, they're like, oh, I guess I'm not going to lose money in this laundromat because the owner does take care of people. Yeah. So all those things help. But the way that the revenue grows is by providing good service that leads to good reviews. I don't do any, I don't have to do any discounts or any specials because I haven't maxed out on where I think my customer growth can come from. Right. But, but is not, it, it's volume too, right? Like more people in your, yeah, you need, yeah. you need more people, but I also, it's not just that you also need, you know, a laundromat. One of the big terms is turns per day. How many times is each yeah. machine used per day? Yeah. You know, the average across the country is about three. And if you think about it, if you're only getting three, four or five turns a day, times all your machines, you have about 15 hours more where you could be utilizing those machines. So that's where wash, dry, fold comes in, where people drop off their laundry, you do it, you charge them $2 a pound instead of Are you going to start pounds. doing that? Um, probably not anytime soon. The okay. only way I would is if I had three very reliable, dependable yep. people. You yep. can't have one because when they get sick, you still have... Yep. and. I'm not excited to get into the wash, dry, yeah. fold, although there is money to be made in wash, dry, fold. And I get calls for it all the time. I just, I, you know, your margins are better when it's not wash, dry, fold, when it's unattended and all the revenue is driven, you know, by the, by the people, yeah. by your customers. But it's, there, so there's a lot of future growth. I'm not at the point where I feel like I need to discount in order to attract yeah. more business. Yeah. I never thought that the business of laundry would be so fascinating to me. I should mention to you, I live in a semi-socialist building in New York City built by the Ladies Garment Workers Union. And they have us in the laundry room, they have a socialist bookshelf. People just bring books they're no longer reading and everybody just takes them out. Maybe that would be a fun thing for you. We have that. You got to come back in the laundromat. Oh. We, have, we have what we call a community um, book exchange, whatever you want to call it. And so people will come in and, and, and once in a while, homeless people will come in, they'll take a book and I no issue. You know, that's, that's great. That's what it's for. And um, the people, the woman that lives right above the laundromat, she used to, she grew up in New York, spent her whole life in New York, used to own a bookstore in New York. When she donates books, everybody's excited because her books tend to be great. But, um, but I will say, sorry, I will say, I think it's, it's funny. I did everything I could to leave a communist socialist country and you did everything you could to go live yeah, in, a yeah. in a socialist community. I know, I know. Um, I, I, I want to close with the story that I opened with, which is that this incredible sock wall, I hear that it made the front page of the Boston Globe. So let tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so that was about uh, a, a month or two ago. It was... So the, the, the woman who wrote the, who did the article, she actually used to be the editor in chief of the local newspaper in Northampton. And she knew about the sock wall and she has two young kids. So she would come into the laundromat and they would look at the socks and they would laugh and think it was funny. And she thought, you know, this could be a pretty interesting story. You know, how did it start? And, and it, you know, all, and the laundromat also doubles as an art gallery for Smith college students for the art students. And, there, and so, you know, all of that became part of the article. I was just surprised that it became front page of the weekend edition of the Boston Globe, because to me, that just suggests that it's a very slow news day when that happens. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough. You, you've completely enlightened me, and I don't think I'll ever do my laundry in the same way again. 
So, and I, I wish you tremendous success and I look forward to going to your fifth laundromat whenever that happens. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen because I actually, I've had an opportunity to buy other laundromats since, yeah. and I was very surprised that I passed on a few of them yeah. because again, I'd rather continue with the one that I have yeah. and max out before I get involved with something else. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Jason. It was great Thank to talk to you. Okay. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.